morning, JBC listeners! The time is 2300 hours Eastern Standard Time. The sun is shining on our nation, and this new year, our cars are finally flying, Popeye's chicken sandwiches are even spicier, and Joe Exotic remains under the captivity of Tony the Tiger. 2078 is only going to be our year, and believe it or not, Alex Jones whoa, finally... Whoa, 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 Patrick, slow down there, buddy. It's Tuesday. Oh. By the way, you know, I've been meaning to ask you this. What are you wearing? What's that thing on your head? This thing is a badge of honor to protect the community from COVID-19. I'm following all the CDC guidelines, Billy. Pat, that is not a CDC-approved mask. That's a Halloween costume. But Gotham needs me. All right. Well, let me take a moment to begin this episode in gratitude. I want to thank you, listener, for tuning in. You can be sure that in the midst of all the worry in the world, this episode will lift your spirits. Speaking of spirits, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And when I say the Holy Spirit, I mean Jesus And when I say Jesus Christ, I mean God. Billy, where have you found God lately? Patrick, as you know, one of the cornerstones of being a Jesuit volunteer is the retreats that we have the opportunity to go on throughout the year. And due to the coronavirus, that put a little bit of a wrench in how things have been lately. And so uh, due to that, we had our silent retreat at home last weekend. And I just want to give a shout out to the JVC staff that did a wonderful job of putting things together. And I really did feel like I was on retreat, even though we were in our own homes. And I want to give a shout out especially to Ben DeGarmo for the great work he did in leading prayers in the morning and the evening and organizing much of this. You asked where I'm finding God, and coming off of that retreat and throughout this week, I'm finding God in silence and in seeking those silent moments in my life. And I want to share that during retreat, I learned a lot, especially from Father Cy Hendry, who is a member of the Detroit Jesuit community, and he gave us a talk both Friday morning and Saturday morning to help us to sink in to silent retreat. And he talked a lot about this idea of Ignatian contemplation and about discernment. And one thing he said that really stuck out to me is how God is present in the deepest place in our hearts, but we are not always there. And so I've been thinking about that a lot and I thought about it during silent retreat and just this idea for me and for all of us of just bringing your full self to prayer, even the hard things in our lives and praying with that in some way that's beneficial for you And so I learned more about how prayer should be something, you know, that's beneficial for you to contemplate and to think about God. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just sitting down every night saying the same prayer, reciting it. It should be something that's a part of your lives. This retreat taught me more about how prayer can just be in our daily lives, that prayer can be poetry, it can be journaling. On silent retreat, I was able to walk around to Clark Park. It can be walking in the park. And just noticing like how you feel throughout this and where you, where you notice things in your life. And one other thing he shared that really struck me is a quote from uh, theologian Walter Burghardt that contemplation is taking a long, loving look at the real. And that just further went to prove this point that everything that's in our daily lives, everything that we're experiencing is the real, and it's what we should bring to God and to our prayer. I'm coming out of silent retreat feeling refreshed, 
and in some ways closer to God, having learned more about this and spent more time just in silence and in my own contemplation. Yeah, this past weekend for me was really special. Silent retreat uh, coming into JVC. These retreats are a big reason why a lot of JVs and why applicants like look to JVC. You know, they really look to as a pillar for the organization. Spirituality is is a cornerstone, and it's one of the reasons why I was drawn to JVC. And so this new virtual retreat format. I was very anxious heading in just because like I spend so much time uh, in my house just working and it's also like my personal space and uh, it's it, it I was worried it would just be a little bit too much and I would get really off uh, focus but I was just pleasantly surprised about how smoothly it went and how at peace I was throughout the entire time and I really just felt like especially with our house like I really felt connected with the history just seeing so many of the signatures on our kitchen wall and the handprints just like really just pausing and also during the weekend like I got to go outside to our to our yard and I spent Friday there because it was really nice and it was like the only nice day it felt like in Detroit. You were sitting outside all day on Friday. I was, yeah, I know, I got, I got a little burnt. But it was just beautiful just to be out and just take in and, and to not, just just be present with, with everything that was going on. And for me, a big highlight was continuing my reading of Dr. Michelle Benston's book, Breaking Anxiety's Grip. I'm at chapter five in the book, and in this part, she discusses her husband's sudden end to his remission from cancer. Her husband had been cancer-free for 15 years, and then just as she was about to release her book, Hope Prevails, go on tour, continuing her work, her husband's cancer comes back in a new and rare form. Upon hearing this news, she starts to work, rework her work schedule cook frozen meals for the weeks ahead, schedule his chemotherapy treatments, and answer immediately to her friends and family about his diagnosis. In the midst of all this transition, she collapsed to the floor and she broke down in tears. And reflecting on that moment, she recognized that she didn't ask the most important question for herself. She was asking, what if this cancer comes back even stronger and what if I'm a widow what if this jeopardizes my career she wasn't asking what if you trusted God throughout this book I've read it's been really an amazing read she highlights that God wants what's best for us but we need to give God our whole selves to build that trust this chapter it reminded me of what Billy mentioned about kind of meeting God where God is at so much of my relationship with God I feel like I have held back held back a lot of the uncomfortable parts that you know I'm just embarrassed to share or I just don't think that it's worthy enough to share but what this book has reminded me what Sai and our community continue to remind me is to bring my whole self and it is through those moments that you find God and God meets you. So it was just really refreshing this silent retreat to feel that even in the midst of silence, 
this is my first silent retreat that I've been on and I didn't know how it was going to go, but God really works in silence and works when you are still. And I really found that and I commend my community for committing to silence and to committing to trying to create our house and our space to be a retreat space so that we can be ourselves and be in touch with our spiritual health. For me, that has been not the strongest really throughout this year. Um, so it was just really refreshing to be able to go through this retreat experience, this new retreat experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just want to echo what you've shared and what I shared about just how hard it is to meet the hard parts of your life and bring those to God the parts that we're not sure about, the parts that that we're struggling with within our own lives, and to bring that to God. I'm glad that you've enjoyed this book, and I've enjoyed it a couple times throughout the year you sharing with me different parts of the book that you've enjoyed, and or when you share with me just ways that you connect your your mental and emotional health with your spiritual life, because I think that's real growing edge for me. I'm just glad to have your presence and your sharing on that topic. So. to turn now to our interview with the president of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, Tom Chaboya. Tom has had an incredible career. He has had various roles within the Catholic Church. He was the deputy chief of staff at SEIU, one of the most powerful labor unions in this country. And most recently, he was the head of the race, diversity, and inclusion team at NeighborWorks. You will hear in the interview more about how his passions have guided his career path and ultimately landed him at the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. We enjoyed our conversation with Tom and learned a lot about him and about how to truly work for change in our society. We hope you enjoy the conversation as well. So once again, Tom, thank you so much for joining Billy and I. Tom, if you could touch on just your previous experience and really what has led you to your current position at JVC. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks to both of you, Billy and Patrick, for inviting me to be on your podcast. It's a great privilege and uh, it's a great uh, service you're doing for JVC. Uh, so thank you. So yeah, so my path uh, has been a long and winding one. I would say the kind of the launching point for me really was uh, the Jesuit novitiate where um, I went through the spiritual exercises and, you know, in that process decided that um, I didn't uh, want to pursue the priesthood, but I wanted to work for the church. Uh, and during that time, you know, I learned about liberation theology. I was connected with a lot of the Jesuits there in Los Angeles that were working on uh, Central America issues. Uh, at the end of the in the eighties, you had the death of the Jesuits and and their coworkers, and just a lot of activism, the sanctuary movement. So that that was sort of my introduction to uh, social justice and seeing the role that the church could play as a convener to move uh, issues forward. Uh, and so. Uh, when I left the novitiate, I went and got my master's in theology in uh, Berkeley, came back. I was a chaplain on the campus ministry staff at Loyola Marymount, where, among other things, I, I 
organized immersion programs and recruited JVs. I went to work for the Archdiocese after that, where I spent about 14 years, most of that running the social justice office uh, for the diocese and working on a whole range of issues. Uh, really put me in touch with an incredible group of uh, people, uh, leaders in the community who are working for social change. From there, I went to work at the Catholic Bishops Conference, and I worked for the Catholic Campaign for Human Development. And at that point, when I left uh, the Bishops Conference, I, I knew I wanted to move out of the church faith-based space. And my criteria was I wanted to find an organization that had the power, resources, and will to make change in people's lives. And so I went and worked at SEIU, Service Employees International Union. I was there for seven years, uh, one of the most progressive, uh, forward-looking uh, labor unions. And it was also my dad's uh, labor union, which uh, was a great connection for me. I moved from there to NeighborWorks America, which is a federally chartered nonprofit that works to support affordable housing across the country. And then the JVC position opened up. I had been beginning to kind of look to see what my next uh, step would be. And JVC um, uh, seemed to be right in line with kind of where I wanted to go and the people that I wanted to work with. Thank you, Tom, for sharing a bit of your journey. It's really cool to hear about just how you have, you know, a passion and how that's weaved through your different career paths. I want to go back just for a second to what you said was a launching point for you, starting in the Jesuit novitiate. And if you could just share a little bit more about your experience, kind of just starting out, you know, realizing that ultimately wasn't your path, but uh, especially your, your experience with the spiritual exercises, if you can just share a little bit about what, what that is and what made it so transformative for you. Well, it was, it was a couple of things. One was I was fortunate uh, to have as my spiritual director and novice master, uh, Wilkie Al, who is a... Um, uh, philosopher, theologian. Uh, he's immersed in Buddhist practices and just brought a whole wealth of experience and knowledge uh, to his role as novice master. And so really in the spiritual exercises, you know, one, it helped me discern, you know, that I didn't want to pursue the priesthood, but it also just gave me, you know, a whole set of tools and practices and grounding that really have carried me uh, to this very day. Just the practice of really trying to be self-reflective, uh, self-awareness, trying to understand sort of, you know, how God is showing up in uh, in my world and the world around me. And so it really just kind of gave me the basic tools and a grounding and a core that really has not gone away. And, and if anything, it's probably gotten uh, stronger over the years. Tom, I want to touch on, you mentioned... Uh that your transition from like the church into the union that your dad was a part of was a big step for you and your work with social justice. I want to just uh, unpack that a little bit more. Like, did you feel that like your current previous positions, like in the archdiocese, like, did you think that there wasn't a stronger enough emphasis on like social justice that you were looking for? Like, what kind of made that um, switch at that time? So, like I said, I, was, I, I left uh, the Bishop's Conference looking for an organization with the power, resources, and will to make change. 
because at that point, I think I had come to a place where I felt like the church had the, the power and resources, but not uh, the will in areas that were really, you know, very important to me. So I, at that point, decided to choose a different path. And, you know, as I, as I look back at it now, the, the one thing I was always grateful for growing up was that my parents had a dignified retirement. They owned their house free and clear. My dad had a pension. And, you know, they, they lived a very, you know, simple life, but it was, you know, they didn't have to really worry about their finances. And really, that was because of the union. Uh, the union provided my dad with a pension and a job and health care that allowed him to, you know, raise his family. And so as I look back on kind of where I've spent my time with the church, which was a big part of my family, my parents were devout uh, Catholics, SEIU, which was, you know, the labor union that my dad was a part of, that really gave him the foundation for him to raise his family. Uh, then I went to NeighborWorks, uh, where it was about affordable housing, and it really was, uh, you know, the house that my parents owned uh, allowed them to leverage that asset that they had to send us to school, send us to college, you know, be able to to raise us. And so as I look back, I sort of hit the three kind of major parts of my life that were tremendously influential, the church, labor unions, and housing. And now with JVC, I feel back, feel that I've come back full circle to the place where it really gave me my grounding. So back connected with the Jesuits. You mentioned uh, your work with NeighborWorks and you mentioned your passion for your social justice uh, that you explored a lot through the union that you worked with. And then as your role as the leader for diversity and inclusion work um, at NeighborWorks. And on the JVC website, uh, it says that it was kind of one of the most challenging learning experiences of your career. Um, but it taught you many lessons and things that you will carry, um, carry forward. What specifically in your role as diversity and inclusion leader or some of the lessons that you learned at your time at NeighborWorks? So I think there's two dimensions to it. One is very personal and the other is maybe more kind of professional. Uh, I mean, the personal part of it is um, the three or so years that I uh, was at NeighborWorks leading the diversity work gave me the opportunity and forced me to come to terms with my own identity. I, I, was, I, I was raised, my, my parents, um, my mom my, uh, migrated from Mexico. My dad was born shortly after his family came from Mexico. Uh, and when they raised us, they really wanted us to assimilate into American culture. And to do that, they really kind of played down and, and devalued in a lot of ways uh, the Mexican culture, which was very deeply part of them and their family. And so I grew up with a sense of really trying to, uh, you know, push that part of me away. Uh, that tension showed up in a lot of different places, you know, from very simple things like when I was working for the Archdiocese, I would, you know, show up to a room full of uh, uh, Latino, Latino women that were uh, organizing at uh, one of the local churches. And they saw me walk in the room and they expected, well, Here's a Hispanic. He can speak Spanish. Well, my Spanish is not that great, you know. And so there was that sense of embarrassment that I wasn't able to connect 
with them in a way that I felt that I should. But also the immigration issue has always been a big part of you know my life and a part of my focus. And there was just a really deep connection there, particularly with a lot of the immigrant communities that, that, uh, that we were working with. So part of it was just kind of coming to terms with my own identity and understanding how the, you know, culture that we're in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, forced me to, to compromise and devalues, you know, who I am and really my, you know, Latino culture. And it's really the process of recovering that and understanding how that whole process has, you know, played a significant role in who I am today for better or for worse. I would say organizationally, uh, it taught me that uh, racial diversity work is uh, really hard, both dealing with the pain that gets uncovered as uh, people relive, retell, uh, rediscover uh, their histories as, as people of color, and as um, you know, white staff and white allies uh, come to understand sort of what their role is in bringing an end to racism and bringing an end to prejudice. And it really requires a, a level of conversation that is challenging, that is hard, and that is willing, that you have to be willing to have people kind of face their own realities. And uh, unfortunately, uh, when I was there, it, it didn't have like total buy-in from the top uh, at the front end. And so it never really sort of got hold in the organization the way that it should. And that caused just a lot of issues and problems because, you know, people were getting mixed signals about whether or not this was a priority for the organization or not. So part of the lessons, of, you know, for me in terms of my own identity and two, just how challenging and important this is organizationally, just to need to be really intentional as we take on these issues. I think for me personally, uh, I think this year has been, I've told my parents this, but it's been one of the most challenging years of my life, if not the most challenging year so far. And I think a lot of the reasons uh, it's both like uh, personal and also organizational to a degree, like personally, I've, you know, I haven't had like the conversations that I've had with folks, not only in my house, just about like, uh, you know, spirituality, about community, but also in my workplace meeting people just in Southwest Detroit who are predominantly Latino, Latinx population, a lot of first gen undocumented uh, people learning and kind of unpacking my own privilege as a white American man. And I think organizationally looking at how my agency is trying to improve the neighborhood and improve the livelihood of, you know, a population and uh, of a, you know, a city that um, is, a, is predominantly people of color, seeing how certain systems are oppressing groups over others. Um, it's uh, been really eye-opening this year and something that I wanted to come into. And so, Tom, as you kind of look at your current position right now at JVC, how are you under your like administration or whatnot? How have you carried the lessons that you've learned from NeighborWorks um, into JVC when you want to create a more equitable and also um, a more understanding organization from a, both your staff and then also from your corps members 
Because as you know, it's a predominantly white cohort. And that's typically, I think, been the narrative, not only of JVC, but I think also of other service organizations. There's this, we were just talking to Aaron, uh, the other, Aaron McDonald, uh, just about unpacking kind of uh, service learning and unpacking like, you know, there is a savior complex that is associated with um, service organizations and kind of what that can be. And typically um, because of the group, predominantly white, a white savior complex. And so um, just from your lens, like what, what are the lessons that you have learned and how are you envisioning JVC kind of moving forward in that direction? That is a really good question. And I, I would say my experience at NeighborWorks have uh, made me approach what we do at JVC with um, you know, great level of intentionality and caution, and maybe too much caution. One of the issues I had to overcome personally as I thought about applying for the position at JVC was, you know, after spending these years at NeighborWorks working on diversity and inclusion, and just seeing, you know, the importance of this work, you know, particularly in community development and uh, community service realms. You know, one of the hesitations I had was knowing that JVC uh, is and has been pre uh, predominantly white, middle class, middle upper class organization. Not, not all, but, you know, predominantly, as you said. So that when I was interviewing, I... Uh, told the board and, and those that I interviewed with that I wanted to make diversifying the JVC cohort one of the priorities, that, that, that if I was going to come into the role, that's what I wanted to do. Well, I, I think I learned pretty quickly as I talked to volunteers and particularly volunteers of color, we didn't have the mechanisms and support structures in place to support uh, people of color. Uh, and that is really one of our big challenges right now. You know, for this next year, uh, I, I feel I need to make diversity and inclusion a priority. Um, you know, whether or not the organization is, you know, ready for it or, or you know, what the circumstances are, I feel that this is, this is a commitment that I made coming into the organization and it's a commitment that I need to follow through on. Uh, and so we're going to begin you know, a process of, you know, talking with our different stakeholders about what this would look like at JVC and how we begin piecing together something that can be of support uh, for the volunteers, for our staff, and, and perhaps for the FJV community as well. You talk about bringing uh, diversity and inclusion as a priority to the Jesuit Volunteer Corps which I agree with Patrick is very important. And I can tell that is something that is just really personal to you. And that is something that even as you applied for the job was something that you were considering. What are some other big picture? What are some uh, of your other current priorities as a president for the Jesuit Volunteer Corps? Yeah, I get, I get asked that question a lot. And I think people expect some kind of fancy new program or you know, something with a catchy name. I really, what I, what I learned, uh, what I've learned over this year and a half is that the core of JVC is strong. The year-long experience, you know, for the vast majority of volunteers is a transformative experience. Sort of my priority has to be, how do we make sure we build a strong organization 
that enables that experience to continue on for four generations, which means just the basics. You know, we've got to we've got to recruit better. You know, there is no JVC without JVs, and we had um, really sort of lost our recruiting muscle uh, over the last few years and had to regain that. And I think we we've done that. Our our numbers are really strong this year. And I think we're going to run out of placements in the next couple of weeks for next year. Uh, development, fundraising, 70% of our revenue comes from agency fees. The other 30% comes from contributed revenue. So either individuals or foundations. And in a lot of ways, who best to uh, understand the importance of, of this organization than FJVs and understanding the impact that it made in their life. So one of the priorities has, is also how do we re-engage the FJV community, uh, both in terms of you know, providing support to the organization and JVs, spiritual direction, counseling, meals, um, tons of different ways, but also financially. And so we're trying to strengthen our development uh, arm so that we can put JVC in a strong place. So uh, we can grow and expand the program that we have. I would say that, um, you know, in general, JVC, JV support is critically important. I did, I visited all the domestic communities last uh, year and it was, my goal was to do that again this year. But one of the things I learned in that process was uh, the areas in which we really needed to strengthen our support uh, for Jesuit volunteers. Uh, from support people to ICCs to our staff to program to diversity inclusion, there's just a whole bundle of support uh, that we need to have in place to be able to make sure that the JVs uh, have have a good ex experience. And then I would say the the last thing, and and this is not the the fun stuff, but it's um, you know organizational systems and policies you know we we have to run you know if we expect people to to give to jvc we need to make sure that we have a, a organization that has integrity that's receiving that money uh, so making sure we have the the human resource policies financial policies and systems reporting all those things in place so that we can be transparent uh with our donors and with our uh, stakeholders so so those are my priorities, kind of the nuts and bolts of the organization. So I don't want to just segue, um, as I mentioned about my agency and just the relationship um, specifically at UNI, um, Urban Neighborhood Initiatives in Detroit, we, we are on about uh, six uh, JVs. So over like five or six years, JVC has been a part of this agency. I'm just curious, um, how have you or how have your staff board been able to deepen the relationships with agencies and with the communities that these agencies serve? Uh, let me answer it this way that, you know, I feel like right now we've been sort of on autopilot, you know, the last several years in terms of the agencies that were replaced JVs, you know, a lot of them are, are, they're all great organizations and a lot of them, have been had JVs for a long time. I think we need to step back and really take a look at you know where what opportunities are we providing to applicants? Are they in the areas that really need the most focus right now? 
whether it's on immigration or housing or uh, you know working with uh, you know various uh, um, the uh, people coming out of the, the criminal justice system, uh, community health. Uh, I, I think we need to step back and and see our 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 placements really in the places that are needed most, and are they giving the Jesuit volunteers the type of experience that we want you to have in the course of your year. I just want to take a step back for a second and just ask, as as the president of an organization, more just about what is your kind of like what is the everyday job look like? Just what have been, you know, really the biggest joys that you faced over the past couple of years? And then on that end, what have been some of the challenges that you faced? Well, up until, you know, a couple of months ago, a typical day was on the road. Um, I was pretty much traveling, you know, every week, uh, you know, trying to hit two or three houses or two or three cities in a week uh, to have dinner with JVs, to meet with donors, to connect with FJVs. Uh, and so uh, probably 75% of my time was uh, on the road. So when I'm in the office, just trying to reconnect with staff and, you know, be present as much as I can with our Baltimore staff, just to make sure that we're all uh, kind of rowing in the same direction. A lot of my work is uh, relationship building, both on the fundraising side and on the JV and FJV uh, side. So the joy really has been, you know, meeting, uh, meeting with JVs and meeting with FJVs uh, and having dinner with uh, communities and just hearing the conversations about what, you know, what your year has been like, uh, what the challenges have been, the importance of community, uh, the different ways in which the year really has uh, been transformative for you. And I would say that the, the challenges have been uh, really on the organizational side. There was a lot of change before I came into JVC, and I ushered in more change when I came in staff-wise. I think we have a, a strong staff now. I think, you know, our uh, kind of reorganization is, you know, pretty much done. Uh, we just hired some new area managers. And so it really is, you know, the organizational side and, and trying to uh, have JVC remain the organization that provides people with the type of experience that they're looking for, and at the same time, uh, an organization that's, uh, uh, you know, well-run with people that are committed to the mission and people who are committed to the volunteers. I just want to say, you know, we really appreciate the way you go around and try to have dinner with every community each year. We really enjoyed uh, our dinner with you here in Detroit. Well, I've been, uh, so I've been trying to do virtual dinners now to the, to the, eight or so communities I didn't get to visit so I remember something you know something you said at orientation that really struck me and that still sticks with me I don't remember I'm not quoting you verbatim but you talked about your goal for the JVC is to kind of reimagine what it means to be church through the Jesuit volunteer corps I remember that it really struck with me and I was saying wow just being very excited about everything at orientation and being really inspired by that right at the start and so I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit more about kind of what that means, what that vision could look like for the church and the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, and what that kind of means to reimagine. So, so I talked about, you know, the, the challenge that I had in applying for the job, you know, and 
you know, just everything going on, you know, within the church, the clergy sex abuse and, you know, other things, you know, I, I just didn't know whether I wanted to re-enter into faith-based work, even though it's with an organization I have tremendous respect for, connected with the Jesuits. Uh, my older daughter was home and she, uh, I was telling her about the interview process and I told her, I said, you know, I really don't know whether I want to go back to faith-based work and I was telling her why. And she paused and she said, well, maybe you can help create the kind of church that brought you to this work in the first place. Hmm. And that just sort of pushed me kind of over the edge. You know, the, the, I got involved in this work because I saw how the church could be a force for social justice and social change in people's lives. Uh, I, I came to JVC because I know FJVs who are family, who are friends. And I tell people that all the FJVs I know, and now I can say all the JVs I know, are solid human beings. You know, they, there's a moral compass. Uh, there's uh, embedded values. You know, as I, so last year when I did the, I did all the visits of the houses and I went back to disorientation. I went to the three disorientations and I kind of reported back what I'd heard and things that we were doing. And I just told him, I said, you know, I'm 60 years old and I would say the last, you know, eight, five to eight years, you know, I, I felt like I was just sort of going through the motions in my work, um, you know, great organizations, but not really finding any uh, passion in, in what I was doing. And I told him, I said, you reconnected me with my passion. You reconnected me with why I do this work. You, re you reconnected me with uh, the church that brought me to this work in the first place. And that, you know, you're the church that I want to be a part of. So it's a church that's focused and very deeply committed to the common good, to social justice. It's a spirituality that is not just personal, but it's communal. It's really looking at, you know, how God is working in our lives and how God is working in our world. And as I think about the JV houses that I visited, and I see the, uh, the community that is being built there. And in a lot of cases, people asking themselves and each other really hard questions about what they're doing and how they want to move from this year to change the world and make it a better place. And it's done within the context of community. It's, it's, it's grounded in the spirituality it's grounded in JVC's core values. That's the church that I want to be a part of. Yeah, I love that your uh, communal spirituality. I think heading into this year, I, I will applying to JVC. I was like, spirituality, that's like such an inward, that's such a personal value after being, what, how many, eight months? Whew, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, you are so right. I feel like this year has been more of just a, that communal spirituality that uh, that I've really longed um, longed to have. So I really resonate with what you say about you know your daughter challenging you, like reminding you what brought you into the position in the first place, and 
being uh, confident in yourself and confident in your faith to reimagine the church. It may take time, but you surround yourself with people that will help you get there. And uh, I feel that with my housemates and I feel that with my agency and, and with the staff. Just to bounce off of what Patrick is sharing, this year has really connected me to my spirituality, this idea of communal spirituality in just a new way because I've just learned so much about uh, Jesuit spirituality and this faith that does justice. And I think that piece was really missing for me before. It's just been this year has been so meaningful for me to understand, like you talk about, the church can be a force for good in the world and just understanding uh, that my faith does have something to say when there's injustice that exists. And so this year has really helped me in my own way in that sense. Tom, you're almost off the hot seat. (laughs) No. Um, So we have uh, one final question for you that we have asked all of our amazing guests. This question comes from a quote from Thomas Merton. Quote, if you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for. In detail, ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully or the thing I want to live for. So Tom, what are you living for? I love that quote and it's um, in a lot of ways very uh, parallel to, uh, I'm sure you're aware of that uh, reflection that's attributed to Pedro Rupi about follow your heart and everything else will follow. So the, the power of Ignatian spirituality and I think the power of JVC uh, is it creates a space uh, for people to to really reflect on kind of where is their heart pulling them? You know, where where is their passion? You know, I believe, you know, it's not so much that God is leading us places as God is following us places. Our God in a lot of ways is a following God, a God who wants to support us as we seek to uh, kind of realize our full potential and to find that work that brings us passion, that work that makes us, you know, really agents for positive social uh, change. And so for me, you know, each of the jobs I've been in have given me an opportunity to do that. But I would say that the gift of JVC has been the Jesuit volunteers and and the privilege that I've had, uh, again, to, to sit down with you, to sit across the table, uh, to hear honest feedback and conversation, and to hear you struggle with questions. Not that you have answers, none of us have the answers, but the but struggling with the questions. So this is what now, obviously, my family, you know, is, is what I live for. But I would say, uh, as I said earlier, JVC has put me back in my, with, back, has put me back in touch with my passion. And, you know, this is what I'm living for now, is to hopefully create a space where more and more young people can have this experience. And whenever I am you know, leave JVC, that I leave it in a place that it's strong, it's flourishing, and uh, it'll be around for a long time. On behalf of myself, Billy, uh, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking the time again to answer some questions. Yeah, thank you, Tom, for joining us. On the balcony. It, it, it honestly was a, a real privilege, and uh, uh, I'm just grateful to the two of you for being.
being part of JVC this year. So thank you both. our interview with Tom, and now it's time for one of your favorite segments, The Four Values in Four Minutes. Patrick, why don't you take us away? For me, community has been a really big highlight, both the silent retreat, I mean, kudos again to the Detroit community for committing to silence and committing to creating a great space for us to be in touch with our spiritual health. Another thing that we did prior to Silent Retreat was we held a racial justice discussion and it went incredibly well. I credit our community again for creating a great space for all all of us to talk about racial justice from a reflective standpoint, both in our experiences prior to and during our JVC year. Living in such a multiracial city, we've all worked with various populations within the city that have informed our understanding and the conversations that we have had about race. The racial justice discussion was organized by a couple of the North Central JVs. They initiated this discussion format in an effort to assess JV's current knowledge about racial justice and how, as an organization, JVC can be better about fostering racial justice as a part of their core values. As Tom mentioned in the interview, Racial diversity and equity is a priority for his administration, and I really hope that he will be in support of what the North Central JVs are speaking to. I agree wholeheartedly, Patrick, and I thank the North Central JVs who have been taking the lead on these racial justice conversations because it's not easy to have these conversations. And so I also want to share a bit about how community has been the value that struck me lately, but I want to talk for a second about St. Norbert, my alma mater. St. Norbert Giving Day is Tuesday, May 12th, and I'm not asking you for money, but I am very proud of my alma mater. Go Green Knights. Go Green Knights. And I was able to help the marketing team at St. Norbert in making a video just to talk about my journey and what made St. Norbert such a special place for me. In reflecting more about it, I just... I mean, I knew all these things, but just thinking back, I just had a very narrow view of the world, coming from a small, white, middle-class suburb of Milwaukee, and all those things in my upbringing shaped how I saw the world. And so going to St. Norbert, being educated with a liberal arts tradition, it really changed the way I view the world, the way I live my life, and ultimately joining the JVC all came from the values that I learned at St. Norbert, and for all of that I'm so grateful. And one thing especially I've connected from St. Norbert to JVC is this idea of community. At St. Norbert we say communio, which is Latin for commu community, and it's a Norbertine value. It's really connecting the human family, and just this need to love one another, even and especially when it's difficult to do so. And I think of this author that I really enjoy, Darnell Moore, and in one of his books, there's this quote, but so often our love is reserved for those whose presence does not disrupt our comforts. And I think about that a lot in regards to community and how to truly be an inclusive community, we have to learn to love one another even when it's hard to do so. 
thinking back to this racial justice conversation, I think that it can be really hard to have these conversations, and especially as a white person, to talk about some of the prejudices that I have because of who I am and how I've been socialized. It's not my fault, but it's something that needs to be recognized and needs to be talked about. I think we really need to just recognize how racism is ingrained in the fabric of our society. And until we can start to have more of these conversations and recognize these injustices, there will still be suffering in our world. And so just thinking about community, thinking about, you know, St. Norbert, I'm grateful for all of that. And just even moving that forward, just so grateful for that racial justice conversation, even though it's difficult, just how necessary it is to build community. Yeah, that's a very mature uh, and amazing value that St. Norbert, shout out to St. Norbert, uh, you know, that was, uh, for myself, like, I, I come from a similar background, like, I'm white, I come from a middle-class family, and throughout my life, like, I've been surrounded in predominantly white environments. However, when I think about uh, my work in this year and talking about race and racial justice and how to be an ally I look to my faith and I look to you know how uh, my faith is calling me in ways that you know we are all connected and we are all part of a human family and a part of a living family with all living things I, I came from a Jesuit background I went to Jesuit school my whole life and at Gonzaga University in Spokane we really preach cura personalis, care for the whole person. We also preach the solidarity efforts, the solidarity of being with others, and especially others that are most vulnerable in our society. And all of these things throughout my life, they have propelled me in my, in my future, in my endeavors. I really believe in the power of listening and believe in the power of creating space where people can be safe and people can share their authentic selves and these discussions about race and discussions about other issues in our country uh, talking about gun violence talking about environmental injustices they have to start from a place of conversation have to start with one another listening they are not uh, end-all, be-all conversations. They are ongoing, in these, and they take on new forms. And we have to open our minds and open our hearts. And that is what JVC this year has been for me. It's been really pushing me out of my comfort zone, pushing me and breaking my preconceived notions of, of what justice is, of what social justice may be having conversations and being okay with having these conversations and knowing I don't have answers and feeling safe and supported by people like Billy and our community and JVC knowing that we are in this together we will continue to have have these conversations and try to be better this is what this year has been for me is to be my best self improve my understanding and improve my compassion and ability to care. So in closing the episode today, 
We want to recognize that there's a lot of suffering in this world today, especially due to the coronavirus. And so we wish to offer a prayer of solidarity for anyone who is affected by COVID-19. And this prayer just, it goes out to, again, all of the healthcare workers, all of the patients, uh, all of the families and communities that coronavirus is impacting. Know that you are in our thoughts and prayers and that this will pass and this will end. And this prayer hopefully uh, will bring you some insight and some love from God. For all who have contracted coronavirus, we pray for care and healing. For those who are particularly vulnerable, we pray for safety and protection. For all who experience fear or anxiety, we pray for peace of mind and spirit. For affected families who are facing difficult decisions between food on the table or public safety, we pray for policies that recognize their plight. For those who do not have adequate health insurance, we pray that no family will have financial burdens alone. For those who are afraid to access care due to immigration status, we pray for recognition of the God-given dignity of all. For our brothers and sisters around the world, we pray for shared solidarity. For public officials and decision makers, we pray for wisdom and guidance. Father, during this time, may your church be a sign of hope, comfort, and love to all. Grant peace, grant comfort, grant healing. Be with us, Lord. Amen. Thank you again for listening and tuning in to Jesuit Balcony Conversations. Listeners, this is a special ending. We are actually recording on the balcony. This is it. Here we are. This is what dreams are made of. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell by all the wind, the dog barking, the semi-trucks, but... The dead rat that was on our sidewalk. <laughs> it's not there anymore. Not really, there. <laughs> really glad about that. But yeah, we hope you uh, know that our views are not affiliated with the views of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. Make sure to give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. You know what to do. And we have a special award. It's a prize, whatever you want to call it. Woo! Congratulations. You made it this far. <laughs> making it this far in the podcast. Patrick, tell them what they've won. You you got something that's going to put a smile on your face. I guarantee it. It is a joke that Patrick told to Tom. We hope you laugh, just like none of us did. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for listening. So Tom, uh, so we are big fans of The Office here at the house. And then like, <laughs> you think, are you, are you following the train of thought here? Or maybe not. Okay. <laughs> but we're big fans of The Office. And uh, there's, uh, I forget what season it is, but they do the Shibuya roll call. And uh, so they go like, Shibuya, yeah, yeah, Shibuya, yeah. And your last name just really rolls off the tongue nicely like the Shibuya. So do, does staff ever come like, all right, we got Tom on. It's time for the Shibuya roll call. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you know, we'll edit this all out, Tom. You don't. Have to... <laughs> so, 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 I think somebody did mention that to me, you know, a while back, and yeah. I, it, it, I think it, I just didn't. I kind of went past it, but yeah. So I have, I have heard of it, but no, uh, <laughs> the staff has not um, done that yet. Not yet. So. Maybe when they listen. <laughs> Patrick really wanted to ask that. <laughs> really, yeah. I told him he yeah. could. <laughs> that, that, that was the most important question of the podcast. That was. Yep. <laughs> uh, the, the office and parks and rec, right? That's. Uh... Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs>